Good morning to each of you. It's been good to be here so far. Um, a couple of comments not related to the sermon before I get into what I'd like to talk about. Uh, one, I just want to, um, again, thank Mary and uh, Anita and others for singing. And beyond putting them on the spot and making them feel awkward for how often we're calling them out, just say, I think that's great. That is what share time is intended for. If God lays something on your heart uh, to share, please go for it. It doesn't have to be a testimony or a prayer request, but if God is doing something, feel free to come and share that with the body. I think that's good. Um, Also, just in reference to what Enos shared at Devotions, it's a a huge topic and a huge arena for all of us. Um, If you want further resources centered around that, um, kind of interestingly enough, right now the boys and I are reading a book called Winning the Battle for Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. The, the caveat here is I haven't finished it yet, but what I have read so far, it's excellent. Um, so if you want to dig into that topic more, um, I would recommend that to you. And, and just want to encourage people here that it is, I mean, it is a huge thing that we can all battle is just our thought life. And um, just to encourage you that, speaking from, from my own testimony, that God changes us and we find freedom through focusing on him and focusing on truth. That is how he transforms us and, and changes us. So um, that is a, a few comments about the service thus far. Um, this morning, what I'd like to talk about, um, it was already mentioned that this is the week that we're calling a deacon here at Faith Christian. And so my mind has really been centered around the church And I've got a couple of small questions for you that I want you to consider. So number one, what is the purpose of Faith Christian? Just a little question like that. Number two, how would you describe it? And number three, what is God doing in Faith Christian? Now, I know that not everyone here attends Faith Christian, and the good news is that hopefully, I believe, the answers to those questions apply to your church as well. If you're plugged into a God-honoring and church that's following the Lord. So what is the purpose? How would you describe it? And what exactly is God doing? And if you're sitting here wondering how we're going to get all that covered in half an hour, it's okay. We're not going, obviously, we're not going to dig real deep into any of those. Um, but we want, I, I just wanted us to have this framework um, in mind as we, as we move into, uh, into the week. So interestingly enough, when we talk about the church, uh, what do we mean? What is meant by the church? And if you look up in in English what the church means, it's a noun, and it means a building used for public Christian worship. So that's the way the word lands in the English language, and we use it all kinds of ways. So we talk about going to church, so referencing the building. It's Sunday morning, we're going to go to church. We also talk about it, are we going to have church? They're calling for snow. So kind of meaning, are we going to gather or are we not? Or we might say something, stand up and share time. I would like to thank the church for fill in the blank. So clearly we're not talking about thanking the building. Um, It is the people. So we use it all kinds of ways. In the New Testament, the word uh, literally is, is always referencing people. It is not referencing a building. It is not referencing a place. And the word just literally means uh, those that are called out. So it's, it's the word call, and then the prefix is called out. So in the New Testament, the word is used many times, and just think of it in terms of 
those people that God has called out of darkness. And these um, references were, these scriptures were actually referenced multiple times today, that as believers, we are called out of, um, out of darkness. 1 Peter 2 uh, says it this way, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the church is all people who are born again, uh, following the Lord, that he is called out of darkness, and we are called out to proclaim um, the excellencies of, of, of the one that's called us out of darkness. Just another uh, little note or clarity here as we get into it. In the Bible, the word church is used in the global sense. So all people who are following Christ across all times, any nations, there's a global church of all who are saved. It will also be referenced where it will say the church in Jerusalem. But we know uh, that that was many gatherings across Jerusalem, not one large gathering. So the Bible will say the church in Jerusalem. We'll use the term that way. Or sometimes the Bible will address a very specific gathering in, in a certain place. So again, just keep that in mind as, we, as you uh, read and come across the word church um, in the Bible. All right, let's jump right in with one of the little questions. What is the purpose of church? Um, and again, we're going to cover this at a high level. I recognize that there are many aspects of all of this that we could talk about for a long time. And I hope you hear it as this, that I really want today to call us back to the basics with simplicity. And there's probably a lot of things that we could talk about around that. Um, and I'd be glad to do that after church or whatever. It's a little hard to, to know where to go with the whiteboard, so I'll, I'll start over here. When I think about the purpose of the church, just in general, when you look at all of creation, I'm going to very simply say it is to glorify God. So all of creation, everywhere, the whole purpose is to glorify God. Is everybody agreeing so far with, with summarizing a lot of things down to that? So the way, when it comes to the church, the way we talk about it is exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the mission statement of Faith Christian. That's how we understand this. So Christians across the world and time would agree that the primary purpose of the church is to worship God. So all of creation is established um, to glorify God. The church specifically, those that are called out, gather together to worship God. And so pretty much anywhere that is going to be kind of is going to be at the core. And then beyond that, what happens next? What is the point? What is the purpose of the church? And here people tend to go one of two ways. And I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to draw a circle over here. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say edify. So, and that's supposed to be a plus. So the, the church exists to glorify God by gathering regularly to worship. And it is primarily, the primary purpose of the church is for the believers who have been called out to be edified, to, to build up, to strengthen, to grow in Christ. So that is, often that's one of the, of the primary definitions. However, you will have other churches who will say that the primary uh, point of the church is going to be, I'm going to say evangelize over here. So uh, churches will say, yes, the body of Christ is to worship but its primary function beyond that is to evangelize. And this often becomes an or. So pretty much everybody agrees the point of the church is to worship. 
and then we can tend to, over, uh, to emphasize one or the other, either edify or evangelize. This gets talked about all kinds of different ways. Um, Mark Deaver was helpful in, in putting good language to this for me and in, in thinking through this. So, the church of God exists to worship, edify, evangelize, and, and how do all of those fit together? Um, one other thing I will just point out about, um, about worship that we have to keep in keep in mind here is that God says he is seeking people to worship him who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God wants us to worship him. There's the, there's the aspect of the Holy Spirit where he's, he's brought us into his family. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. There's a, a personal dynamic of we are called to worship God in spirit, but we're also called to worship God in truth, how he has revealed himself in the Bible the Bible has to say central to how we worship God. That has to inform and teach and guide everything that we do. So the church exists to glorify God through worshiping him in spirit and truth. And then um, people will say to, to edify the body um, or to, to evangelize the lost. So as a, as a group of believers, we gather to be built up in God's word. We believe that God speaks to us. That's why we... That's why we come together. Um, we gather for fellowship. That God, one of the ways that God cares for us is through, through his body, through other believers. Um, one of the things that's interesting is if you meet other believers, other Christians, and have you ever had that experience where you just know somebody is born again, even though you've hardly said anything, and you just, you just know. Like there's an instant fellowship that happens um, when believers um, are together. And I was just thinking about very different situations where God has done this in my life. One, uh, one of the times I was selling dad's van, and this couple came out. We could hardly speak the same language. We were struggling to get through the, the transaction, and, and I, I just knew these, these people were believers. And at some point along the way, yes, we figured out that, yeah, we were both indeed believers, and, and we both knew. Another example, a very different situation, I sat down to meet with the previous buyer at Walmart, and a guy about my age, and like I just, just kind of knew when he walked in. And within the first five minutes, he, just, he said, Hey, Ivan, I want you to know the first thing I did as a buyer is I brought in the Bible. And he said, I'm partial to that. I just want you to know where I'm coming from. And it's the best-selling book of all time. That's all he said, and he moved on to business, and, and I don't think we ever referenced it after that. But very different situations. God... When, when people are following him, there is a fellowship that happens. And that is one of the primary purposes of the church and the primary reasons we gather is to be built up. Um, and you know, just thinking about the New Testament, just to be practical about all the, the letters to the churches, there's something like 59 commands to one another. That can't happen by yourself. We're clearly called to gather together. There's almost, yeah, I think it's 59 different commands to how we are to one another um, as a body of believers. So we are Christ's body. Then the other thing that gets highlighted is to evangelize. So Christ has commanded his followers to share the good news, to proclaim the kingdom, and he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. You, uh, if you read through the Gospels, um, there's the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep. The lost son. God's heart is clearly towards those uh, that don't know him. Thinking even about our Sunday school lesson, 
Um, it's the sick that need a physician. God's heart is toward those who don't know him. He tells us, go out in the highways and the byways and say, hey, come in. When you have a party, don't invite people who can invite you back. Invite those who can't. God's heart is clearly towards um, those, those that don't know him. And he clearly commands us to, to go and to make disciples. And I hope that at this point you're at least mildly uncomfortable listening to me here talk, hearing me talk about the or concept. I hope that you're, you're sitting there and, and that's been at least eating at you a bit. Um, while it is true that churches tend towards really emphasizing one or the other, um, I do believe that scripturally the purpose of the church has to be an and. And that together, together this makes up the purpose of the church. We're called, first of all, to worship God. That changes us, and we want to share that. And so these things have to be kept, uh, kept together when we think about the purpose of the church. So we could probably talk uh, for a long time about what happens when they get out of balance, and I don't want to get too far into that, but I'll just mention, mention a few of the things that can happen. If, if we overemphasize this, that the church really exists uh, primarily to edify, one of the dangers can, that can happen is we become very me-focused. It's almost consumer, a consumeristic thing. What do I get? Am I happy? Am I being fed? It, it really becomes, it can become very much about myself fairly quickly. If we unhitch from this and only focus on evangelism, it can become so focused on they and what they want. Charles Spurgeon described it that we can be so, so focused on the world that the church actually becomes like the world in an attempt to win the world to Christ. And so they have to be, um, we don't want to get into either ditch on that side of it. Again, this is very general. Uh, if we focus only on the part of edifying, we can become inward focused. One of the, one of the dangers that I think we see in this um, is that we forget that God has actually called all of us to share the gospel. And so in, in this type of a focus, we might spend a lot of time almost creating a secondary calling for only a special few who are actually called to be missionaries when God actually clearly just says all followers are to do this. In this kind of a, uh, of a focus, one of the things that can happen is we can talk about a mission church or an outreach church. And I get why we do that, but somehow it feels like we've lost sight of, of the balance that all churches are, are equally called to that. So that's, a day, um, that's something to, to think about on, on that side. On the other side, I mentioned it a little bit, um, if we're just focused only on, on evangelism, the tendency can be to not have discipleship and to grow deep um, and to maturity in Christ. Um, and I referenced what Spurgeon said. He said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And this is Charles Spurgeon um, from, a, from a while ago. I will just speak a little bit um, from experience on this one. So without going into details of where, um, I did have the privilege of helping out with, with a, a church not in the area, um, and it's not just kind of from a distance helping out in a bit of an advisor role. And what happened is um, there was a lot of excitement about um, going and planting churches. And then eventually 
the, the excitement to evangelize stayed there, but um, it almost became a thing where that was the focus and the church got lost in the shuffle. So nobody was really caring about the local church. A lot of effort going into evangelism. And over the long haul, uh, what ended up happening is people weren't united on the vision. It ended up not being very healthy because all of our, anything we do to share the gospel has to flow out of, out of a church that's healthy. Um, and so you have to keep these together of worshiping God in spirit and truth, a church that's edifying, and then um, reaching out to the lost. And I recognize that at this point I should probably just stop and open it up and uh, have questions and maybe even debate. Um, but that is the purpose, and I understand I, I'm just trying to illustrate it. This isn't perfect. You could, you could make the case that maybe there's an order here that one has to come before the other, but I'm just submitting that if you look at the New Testament, these three elements have to be there for the church to be healthy and what God outlines um, outlines for us. All right. <clears throat> the next part I will move through really fast. Um, when we talk about the purpose of the church, the second question I ask you is how would you describe it? And so I would like to just look at how God describes the church um, because I think that helps us understand the purpose of the church. So I'll, I will, uh, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, but I'm not going to read all of the scripture I'm just going to highlight the part that I'm drawing out, um, and I hope that's not distracting to you, but again, I'm not trying to proof text. I just want you to see where it's coming from. How does God talk about, uh, about the church? And I'm going to highlight uh, just 11 descriptions of the church when we think about what it actually is and what the purpose is. Uh, first one is out of Romans 12, and he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So the church is the body of Christ. We're made up of individual members, and we're also members of each other. This is also referenced in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So again, the church is Christ's body. Jesus is the head. And I think sometimes, at least for me, and, and maybe, for, maybe if you're like me, we can lose sight of what Jesus is actually doing in local churches all around the world. Um, if you catch the end of this, he's saying the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So somehow, Christ, the fullness of Christ lives in and through a local body of believers. Um, so the church, is, the church is the body of Christ. The second description comes out of 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So this definitely applies individually for those of us that are born again. In this passage, it is the wording is plural. So God's God's people gathered together are God's temple. Uh, so this is the temple of God. Um, I want to also highlight verse 9. At the top of this, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So we are God's building. The next is in Acts 20, where he says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So again, the church is the flock of God that he has obtained or bought back with his own blood. So as we think about uh, gathering for worship and relating to each other, this is a big deal. This is the flock of, that God has bought uh, with his own blood. Um, and Ephesians 2 tells us that in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we are fellow citizens together. We are members of the household of God. So household in this context is the idea of a family, that we're brought in, into God's family together. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15 says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So again, the idea of the family of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we know what the word pillar means. Buttress is not used as much, but it's just a, it's basically a support that's built up to hold a wall in place. And so the church is, is supposed to be a pillar and a support or foundation for truth. Um, it's how God describes it. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Revelation 19. Um, so we often think of the church being the bride of Christ. It's referenced in Revelation 19, and it's actually not referenced that often throughout the Bible, interestingly enough. Revelation 19 says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Okay, we just flew over 11 descriptions of the church. And again, the point in doing that is just to think through how does what God says about the church and what the purpose is line up with, with how I'm thinking about the church. So here's the list. Again, I'm just looking at what, what God says about his church. Here's the references. It is the body of Christ. It is God's temple. It is God's field. It is the flock of God, fellow citizens. So this is language of a new kingdom um, that God is instituting. A household of God. There's a new family. There's a pillar and buttress of truth. A holy and royal priesthood. A chosen race. A holy nation. And the bride of Christ. And there are probably more that I did not mention. So I want to um, shift gears in the last question that I wanted to ask and have us think about is, what is God doing in faith Christian or you know, fill in the blank of, of the church that you attend? And so very simply, I want to just draw our attention to four things that God is doing and God promises to do in all churches who are following him uh, where he is the head. The first one is going to come out of Matthew 16, and I'll, some of these I will read the text a bit more. Um, even though we won't go into a lot of detail. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what is God doing in Faith Christian? The first thing I want us just to notice is that based on this confession of who God is, he's the son of the living God, or Jesus is the son of the living God, Jesus promises that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I just want us to notice that uh, in this sentence, he he says that I'm the one that's going to build. So in Faith Christian and in your church, God is the one um, that is building. I think it's also important for us to note that he is saying, I will build my church. So whether we're talking Faith Christian or any other church, the church really is Christ. He is the head. It's not our church at all. Um, So Jesus will build his church. So he promises, and it's a statement, it's a promise that regardless of whatever time, whatever culture, whatever situation we're facing, Jesus will do this. And beyond that, he goes on to say, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this happening, which is an amazing promise that that God is going to build his church regardless. Um, The gates of hell might be, again, we could talk about a lot of things it might mean. It could just mean death, and Jesus went in, conquered death, and he said that I rose again. I have the keys of death and of hell. Um, One way to think about gates in the Bible times was it was where a city gathered um, to talk and, and to you know, the, the city leaders gathered at the gates. And so it really is saying, regardless of what Satan or hell brings against the church, whatever the plan is, whatever the strategy is, Jesus' Jesus' church will be victorious in it. And then authority is given to the church here. Um, but again, this is all built on, on Peter's uh, confession of who Jesus is. And let's be clear that, that that is what Christ is building his church on. So the first thing that God is doing in his church is he is building. And, and the word used here, you're going to see this all throughout the, uh, the rest of the New Testament. The word for building, um, I had to think of Joe. It basically, it, it really is referring to how you would build a house. It is, it's a construction term. And that is the word that will be used in other New Testament passages that God is building up and planning and, and constructing um, his church, so he is building. All right, what is the second thing that God is doing? And I'll, again, we're going to jump right in, in in verse 20, but what is God doing in Faith Christian and in all local churches? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we've got the, the building metaphor here. So the, the picture is of the structures going up. And he says, we are being joined together. And that word is interesting. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how it's used here and then in Colossians. The word, again, it's a construction term. And it's basically the idea of we're being framed together. So there's, we're all many members, or all, all different parts. God brings us together in a way that you frame up a house. And then beyond that, in Colossians, where he talks about that, it's actually the idea of being knit together. So you've got all these different pieces of of yarn or whatever that he is 
knitting and weaving together into one thing, into one piece. So God is saying that the whole structure is being joined, being knit together, it's being framed together, and then this thing is going to grow into a temple uh, where the Lord lives. And then he goes, so this is happening globally, but he says in you, the same thing, you're being built up, same word as, as in Matthew 16, you're being built up together into a dwelling place by God. So somehow God comes and dwells in the local church. And he, he does. He promises that when we gather, even if it's two or three of us, that he is in the midst of us. So when we gather this morning, right now, anytime, God is actually with us. And there is a, some type of a joining process that's going on uh, where he can dwell and where he can live. So the second thing that God is doing in Faith Christian is he's joining. And I don't know, do you ever use words that feel weak compared to what you want to say? This is one of those. It's, it's more than that, but um, that's, uh, that's what I have at this point. All right, now what is the third thing that God is doing? This is, a, uh, this is one of my favorite passages about the church, but I, pr- I have to confess that if I had to diagram it for you, I would not enjoy this process. It is packed and it is long. Um, so I want to read through this and then just highlight a few things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I just want to highlight what is God doing? Again, what is God doing and isolate that? So he's saying he has given, he's called different people to different roles And what he is doing in that is equipping the saints. So I'm going to highlight that in orange, that God is promising in Faith Christian to equip the saints. And the word for equip, um, it actually means, has the idea of like furnishing fully or completely. So if you're you're moving into a house, uh, Darren and Lou just moved into a house, I don't know where you would say that you're at in that process of furnishing your house and settling in. Um, Darren said probably not all the way there when I asked him about it earlier this week. But the word here is, it's, it has the picture of, it's just furnished fully and entirely. So in the church, uh, God is equipping or fully furnishing the saints. And then he goes on to describe two things that all of us will do when we've been equipped by God. And it goes on, and this is highlighted in blue, and that is for the work of ministry. So God calls each of us to minister to people in, in one way or another. And uh, all throughout the New Testament, that's a clear theme, that he gifts us for the work of the ministry. But then very interesting, it says, the second thing is for the building up of the body of Christ, the exact same word that Jesus said he's going to do. So one of the primary ways that, that God builds a church is through gifting each of us with his grace, in turn to serve other people, and then the body grows up. So God is equipping the saints, 
and then the next part in blue is what they do, and then we're not going to get into this, but here's the result of that. And it talks about growing to maturity. So we probably, a lot of us probably had those charts when we were a kid of how high, how tall we're growing and where we're at and tracking where we're at on, on each spot. And, and then if your parents, um, you have the best of intentions to do this every like three months and you look at the chart and it's probably been a year and a half and anyway, you've got a chart of growth. And what struck me in reading this is that this is all happening for my good so I can grow in Christ. But the measure, it's maturity, and then it's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. God is, is wanting us each to grow up into the full measure of who Jesus is. And he does that in the context of, of a local church. So that's the result. This is the result. And then at the end of the passage, um, I will highlight that in, in orange because that is what God is doing. So God is equipping saints so that we can do work of the ministry to build up the body. This is what happens. And then in the end, he says, from whom the whole body is joined. Again, the idea of we're, we're knit together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. God is doing that. When each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds up. Again, what God promises to do. And all of this is happening in love. Because God... I mean, look at what the love that God has given us um, the, that we've received. And so that's, um, that is what God is doing in the church. After all of that, I just said that God's equipping the church. So God is building, God is joining, and God is equipping. And then the last one I'd like us to notice um, in several scriptures here, Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So again, we've talked about almost all of these concepts here of being knit together. Christ is nourishing. Christ is building this as we each do our part. But I want to just highlight the end here. It grows with a growth that is from God. So I think this certainly means that we're growing in maturity. We're growing in Christ-likeness. Um, that is how God, God works in our lives. We're growing. Our character is beginning to reflect Christ more and more. We're growing in, in community and relating to other people. So I think that is certainly a part of it. Um, but I also think that, that God's intent for the church is for it to grow numerically in the sense of people who don't know the Lord coming to know the Lord. And I'm not advocating for you know, each church, church to get bigger and bigger and bigger, but the gospel is meant to spread. And God does that in Scripture again and again, where people who don't know the Lord come to know him and either the body grows or, or new bodies start. Um, I just want to point out a couple of verses about this. And actually, interesting, this is Acts 6. And the passage right ahead of this is when they were calling seven people, which is often where the concept of a deacon comes from. After that, the verse we said, that is there says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
So how does the Word of God increase? What does it mean that the Word of God increases? I think it means that it was shared and it brought forth fruit. So the Word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. Jumping forward in Acts 9, um, you had Saul persecuting the church, and when God saved him, he came and he, he related to the church there. And notice the end of this in verse 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So again, I, I had mentioned that the church can mean a whole lot of churches. So that's true here. You have the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. This is a lot of churches in a broad area. They had peace. And what was happening? They were being built up. That's exactly what Jesus promises to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build you up. I'm going to edify the church. The church is being built up. They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then it just simply says that it multiplied. And I think that that is God's heart uh, for what he is doing through all, all um, churches, all bodies of believers, that he is growing both in our character and in spreading the gospel. So the fourth thing that God is doing in Faith Christian and in your church is he is growing. So God is always working to build the church, joining the church together, equipping the church, and growing the church. Wrapping all this up, um, and I, one thing just to note that I said what God is doing in your church and not through your church. So the topic of what God is doing through the church is a whole lot broader than this. But this is what God is doing in your church. Uh, just, I guess, kind of a hint at what God might be doing through the church. This is out of Ephesians 3. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. So in, in the redemption of Christ, who's saved us, who none of us deserve it, um, redeemed us, brought us back to him. He puts us together in a way that is building up. He lives among us. He's joining us together. He's equipping us, and he's growing the church. Somehow this is putting on display for the supernatural world the manifold, um, what does it say, the manifold wisdom of God. In a quirky body of believers from all different kinds of backgrounds with all different kinds of personalities, um, God does promise to do this. And... Uh, that's where I want our hope and our confidence to be is that the Lord Jesus is doing this um, in this body and in bodies all around the world and to be open to how God may want to work through us um, as he does that. So thank you for listening to um, what is admittedly a huge topic of what is the purpose of